Hey everybody, welcome to part six of the Metallicast and Summer for All series. I am your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. I am here today to talk about track six off the Injustice for All album, Harvester of Sorrow, and I am pleased to be joined by our second guest host of the Summer for All series, Nick Makoviak. I pronounced it right, Nick? You got it. Yeah, you, absolutely. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Oh, oh, my pleasure. You know what's ironic? Because um, you had Kevin Van Dam on for Eye of the Beholder. Yes. And I think um, this is now the second time in a row I've had to follow Kevin with something. I think oh, really? Tom over. Yeah, because you know Kevin's <laughs> an intense dude. Yeah. Um, I think he like he did. I think he might have even done Eye of the Beholder with Tom over at Apple Metallica. He did. And I... then. And then I had to follow that with Fade to Black. And Kevin did such this awesome, meticulous, well-thought-out breakdown of Eye of the Beholder. And then I come on like, man, Fade to Black's a great song. Whoa. I felt like an idiot because, you know, Kevin just lays out the whole, like, the, you know, the social-political yeah. landscape of the time. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, Fade's a really good song. It's great. Kevin, I know, did a lot of research for that song for the for Tom's podcast, and he wanted to come on and share some of the same stuff and some different stuff with uh, the Metallicast Militia. So I was more oh, than happy to have him on, and uh, you know, I I'm not I was hesitant at first, to be honest. I was like, I don't want anybody to think I'm like trying to do the same show or whatever. But it worked yeah. out well. We definitely went in some different directions, and Kevin was great to have on, and he does do his homework. I was hoping. Uh, I know there were definitely some times where I was like, take the lead, Kevin. <laughs> I was like, I got my like little, well, it's actually funny because we did it twice the first yeah. time. So we had some technical difficulties going into this recording because I'm just such a podcast professional. So mm-hmm. going into Kevin, we talked for an hour, did not record. <laughs> he was nice enough to do it again the next night where it did record. I had a whole different setup for the next night and it worked out great. But, um, but you know. The first uh, time we recorded, I had no outline. I was like, let's just wing it. And he, I know he had like notes and notes, and he's <laughs> a, he was definitely more professional than the host of this here show. <laughs> it's my point. Yeah. But um, wonderful to have you on. Um, you are a teacher, you are an artist. Obviously, you are a Metallica fan, otherwise, would not be on Metallicast. Right. Tell us a little bit about your background with art, because I know you've done some stuff uh, for the boys over at Metal Up Your Podcast, the big guys on the Metallica Podcast block, if you yeah. will. So tell us yeah. just a little bit about your background, or your, uh, you know, tell us about your art. Yeah, well, I mean, I get, I got into the game late. I'm I'm 34. I started really seriously drawing when I was about eight, and my drawings were not, they were not good. They were just typical eight-year-old drawings that just looked like, you know, just scribbles or whatever. And then somewhere along the line, when I got from third to fourth grade, so about nine, ten years old, uh, you know, as Clint would say, I cracked the code, and all of a sudden the drawings just got much better. Cool. And originally I wanted to be a, a comic strip artist. I wanted to be Jim Davis. He was my original hero who created Garfield. I had loved that peanuts and the far side and i really wanted to do that but because of you know being you know born in 84 and kind of coming up with that 
analogs going out, digitals coming in. I didn't have the, the means of figuring out Photoshop, so I didn't have it. And plus, you know, newspaper was, you know, was basically a dying, you know, right. breed. It's on its way out. It was on its way out. I had to make, I had to start making some adjustments to what I wanted to do, even though I still wanted, still wanted to do that. So I, you know, got into doing comics. You know, looked into doing that, and I didn't realize like now, like gig posters are a thing. Otherwise, I probably would have, probably wouldn't be a teacher. Probably would have been drawing like doing the posters for Metallica's concerts over the past year and a half <laughs> or something like that. But and they've had yeah. a lot of badass uh, posters. Especially, yeah, like, on the current tour, they've been doing a different poster for all the different cities that they are going to. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, had I gone more that way and learned screen printing and all that, I probably would have been one of those artists. But, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. So, right. um, so I mean, no complaints, you know. Having health benefits is always a benefit in a retirement plan instead of waiting yeah, for huge benefits. Yeah, it's yeah, instead of waiting for you know, because with free I know a lot of freelance illustrators on a comic artists, you know, it's feast or famine. You're working for six months nonstop, yep. turning jobs down, and then there's yep. six months where you've got an Uber, you know, or yep. Lyft or work at McDonald's or something. So I know. Um, I will I you know, I can relate as a musician and as a music teacher. Um it's nice to have that uh, little bit of security. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this I, I'm not going to name the band because I do not want to put them on blast. But um, I live in Connecticut, and there was a pretty popular metal hardcore band from the 2000s. And I got into an Uber, and I just started a conversation with the driver and what have you led to music and we were just shooting the shit and long story short he was the drummer of a pretty well-known metal hardcore band back in the day that i definitely mm. had seen on like an Ozfest or two so mm. again i'm not going to name the band he's you know he seems to be in a good spot he had a new band going and trying to get that off the ground but um it was just i bring that up only because you know it's hard to make it and then even if you have made it it's hard to sustain yeah yeah, even you know, you know, art's the same way. I think art, visual art, might be even more difficult because it's something that people think of as being this magical, mystical thing that only a few people possess. And I always tell everyone, it's not a talent; it's a skill. You have to learn it, and you have to put the time in for it. But you know, it's either oh, I can't draw that, or they look at Jackson Pollock and go, oh, I can spider some shit on a canvas and sell it for, you know, for $5 million. Yeah. So you get, so it's, there's no in-between of like, oh, it's something you can work on and get better at. It's just, uh, I can't do that, or, oh, yeah, you know, my five-year-old can do that. So there's, so right. with art, for us, you know, for us visual artists, there's really no winning to it. So, you know, we, we do the best we can, and, Sometimes I get lucky, like with uh, Clinton Ethan, you know, being a patron of their show and being one of the uh, OG New Jersey people from the show. They <laughs> liked my work and they picked a drawing I did from a couple of years ago and it's, you know, taken off and we're we're doing stuff, you know, we're doing some stuff with them. And uh, I know I'll be back on Tom's show 
over the next couple of weeks, I think. I just got to contact them to make sure we're still on track. And I know a yeah. couple of bands have approached me about doing some some stuff. They're like, oh, like we like how you like you can do Puss Head, but you, but you have your own thing. So. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because when um, I first saw your account on Twitter, I saw this drawing and I just sort of, you know, saw it in passing and I was like, oh, yeah, has a Puss Head drawing up. And then once I actually... Uh, had some interaction with you on social media or whatever. You know, I took a close look at your profile. I was like, holy shit, that's that's an original. I was like, dude, I checked out some of your artwork. It's badass, man. Oh, th- thank you. Thank you. But I, I definitely noticed a Pusshead influence in some of your work, so I wanted to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's one of the, uh, what I call my, my holy trinity of, of art influences. Jim Davis being one of them because he was... The original got me into drawing. Uh, Frank Cho, who who does comic books, he has like a classic, uh, classically trained background in illustration. So even though he does comic books, he also has a very strong illustration background. And then Pusshead would be the other one. Yeah. So, and has an, has a teenager growing up. You know, skulls were the thing, and the weathered skulls yeah. of Pusshead. It, no pun intended, drew me into <laughs> to that, but also drew me into Metallica as well. Like it got me yeah. even further into it. That's cool. So uh, just to point out before I transition to my next question, I'm wearing the very controversial St. Anger t-shirt, which is I bring up only because the only actual album cover to feature uh, artwork by Pusshead. St. Anger. Yeah, they've had uh, you know some inner book stuff done by him on the Injustice for All album and obviously countless t-shirts and posters, but mm-hmm. what is your favorite Pusshead drawing that he's done for Metallica? Can you name one? Um, you know, I actually made a list of a couple of them. Um, actually, I do like the, the St. Anger album cover. Yeah. The Fist. I like that a lot. I think one of my favorites actually might be the the back covers to the Saint Anger album with the mm. the you know with the the with the fist has a necklace yeah. around around the around the around the uh, the neck. That's one of my favorite puss heads. Um, ironically, the Harvester of Sorrow single. Yes, actually, is one of my favorite ones as well. Um, it's it's hard to pin down just for me just one or two because Pusshead's got different eras of looks and renderings and styles that unless you're an artist you don't pick up on but right um I would say I mean for the time being I'm gonna go with the back cover of Saint Anger I really like that one a lot interesting I, I gotta ask do you like the Saint Anger album yeah I like it it's yeah. it, it doesn't get me regular too. I'm, I'm not putting you on blast yeah. I'm just me too. You know, it's just, it's one of those, uh, you kind of find out what kind of a Metallica fan a person is, I feel like, when you ask that question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, Same Saint thing Anger with Load was, and Reload. Yeah, well, I mean, I like, I like those albums, too. Yeah, me too. I, I like mean, them all. Yeah, I do, I do too. I mean, even, even Lulu's got, uh, that's a whole other beast within itself. I do feel, yeah. I have a very interest, I have a very interesting take on that album but uh but yeah i mean yeah say anger definitely has its flaws has its moments but um there's some good to it the album cover's good the back right. cover's good <laughs> <laughs> some of the uh, 
I do like the unnamed feelings. Probably my favorite song off that album. I I agree with you, and I actually uh, I was going to bring that song up later. So remind mm-hmm. me because there's a the well I'll get into it later. But just if yeah. I forget, remind me. But what were we going to talk about the unnamed feeling about? All right, so you were talking about you know one of the things that helped get you into Metallica was sort of the artwork. So that leads me to a question I always like asking everybody because everybody has a different entry point. How did you get into the band? When did you get into the band? Give us your background there. Um, I want to kind of paraphrase what I told Tom, you know, a couple, maybe about a year ago when I was on the show. I remember, because um, I grew up, you know, in a neighborhood with older kids and I was a little runt. And I remember, you know, some of the older kids, you know, like my brother is into Bon Jovi. He's about three years older than me. And there were kids older than him. They're into like Guns and Roses and Poison. I can remember as like a six-year-old kid seeing the full-length Doris Injustice for All poster, but I never really thought twice about it. It just was an image. I was like, wow, that's different. My first real visceral experience and visual was seeing them on TV, on MTV during Woodstock 94 and being scared by them. Because so I, I, I didn't know what the hell it was. Like I had no idea. I'd never really. You know, I grew up listening to a lot of '80s, late '80s and early '90s pop, and not, mm-hmm. you know nothing really heavy. But seeing that for the first time, it literally just sucked me in of like this world of just heavy music. And I would say, afterwards, I bought the Black album, and I remember hearing. I remember my buddy gave me the the uh, Until It Sleeps single in 96. I remember hearing that going, I don't know if I like this, because I'd also just got into Pantera at the same time. Yeah. And that was and that album was The Great Southern Trend Kill. Oh, I, that, that is my second favorite Pantera album, right behind Vulgar Display of Power. Yeah, oh yeah, I love Vulgar too. Vulgar's my favorite one. But like my introduction to Pantera was The Great Southern Trend Kill, when you hear that scream, and then Here you... Yeah, with the blast beat, and, and then you hear until it sleeps. You're like, uh, I want to go with, I want to go into the deeper end here. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as I got more into it, and I started to see more of the artwork, the you know the classic yin yang and the flaming skull. I started to get more and more into Metallica, and then I would say by about ninety seven, ninety eight, the calls were in, and they haven't come out since. Yeah. So I've been a fan. I've been a hardcore, diehard fan for I would say about twenty years. I have a similar entry point because I black album. I was, I think, in first grade when I heard Enter Sandman. I have two older brothers, so they would have mm-hmm. MTV on, and I remember the music video, and I remember the creepy old guy, and I was a little bit freaked out. But there was something about the song that just stuck with me. And long story short. Got the Black Album cassette from a friend when I was like in third grade. Heard yeah. Until It Sleeps. And that was, I mean, I'm really into Black Album Low because those were my entry points into not just Metallica, but sort of my gateway into heavier stuff. So I did not get into Pantera sort of till I was a little bit older and stuff. Mm, yeah, I mean, I was, yeah, I was 12 when I when I heard Pantera. And then I just kept getting, like, trying to find heavier bands and, and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But, I went from, I think, Metallica to Megadeth, to Pantera and Slayer, then to some more modern stuff when I was in high school, like a Dillinger escape plan, and then death metal like Cannibal Corpse and mm-hmm. 
just it just sort of escalated and snowballed and got out of control. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It also, but I got it. I went into like a power metal phase where I was listening to Ice Earth and Blind Guardian yeah. and Gamma Ray and Symphony X. But then it's also like yeah, listening to like Death and Obituary and Morbid Angel and uh, Carcass and. You know, and then like you know, Slayer, Testament, yeah. Death Angel, Mega Death, Anthrax. You know. Yeah. But you know, nowadays I'm like, you know, I'm not. You know, back then when I was in high school, you know, you were very, you had to be very particular about like, were you a thrash metal fan? Were you a death metal fan? Were you a power right. metal fan? Right. You know, now it's like I don't give a fuck. It's just it doesn't matter. It's <laughs> yeah. like it's like you know, like I had listened to uh, like the latest Hailstorm song on uh, Black Vultures. I'm like, that's a good song. I don't, you know, it's like and there's so much know, stuff out there now too that takes all these little subgenres and just throws them together and mixes them together really well. So it's just like sort of metal. Like you have a blast beat here. You have a combination of black metal vocals, death metal vocals, thrash vocals, power metal vocals. Like it's just sort of, there's so many bands that blend it all together now too, that it's no real need for the separation. But I always just think how diverse metal as a genre is, you know, where it can be, and metal fans are among the most opinionated. So there's yes. definitely genres where you can just like completely hate on somebody else who likes the same style of music. <laughs> yeah, heavy metal, you know, as diverse as it is, a lot of unfortunately you still have a lot of closed-minded fans. And I think, like when we get it, start talking into Harvester of Sorrow and Injustice for All. You still have those closed-minded heavy metal Metallica fans that like this was like their. Like the like the end of the line for them as far as the band goes because then the black album preceded this so yeah and it's unfortunate because you know you miss out on a lot of stuff so yeah I talked a little bit about that in the last episode I was talking about one because you know them releasing a music video some people were like sellouts same thing when they heard when they released a ballad same thing they heard mm -hmm. when they released the black album or yep. cut their hair and kind of mellowed a bit on load and reload you know mm -hmm. it was just like you reach a certain level of your popularity uh, or, or a certain level of popularity. And I feel like for some people you can do no right. You know, I mean, I know there are people too, you can do no wrong, but mm -hmm. you know, there's definitely that population out there. It's just like, you're no, you're too big to be my band. So now I hate this. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, you know, I think because of the style of music they play and coming from such a street level of, you know, just being, you know, four dudes, you know, trade, you know, tape trading and all that. And then going, you know, just getting incrementally bigger with each album. Like, yeah, you know, going from Kill Em All to then Ride the Lightning, which sounds like two completely different bands. Agreed. And then you get to Puppets and Puppets is an improvement on on Ride the Lightning. And people were like, well, this is cool. So, like, no one hates Master of Puppets. Yeah. Then you get to Injustice for All, where it's funny how, like, the one video came out almost at the end of that album cycle. Yeah. It came out, like, what, 89? So it wasn't yeah. released right when the right when the album dropped. It came out afterwards. So it's very interesting, you know, how the band gets shit on for all these different things, but they've always done it on their own terms. In fact, I remember... I don't know if Kirk was joking about this or not, but they talked about doing a video for Master of Puppets with like a, a puppet with like a heroin needle in it. 
So, <laughs> you know, they had, you know, they had all these yeah. different, um, you know, things, but the whole thing was like, it's either we do it our way. If we like it, we'll put it out there. If we don't like right. it, it'll, it'll, it'll which, be in Lars's vault. Which I always, you know, Lars always says there's an honesty to the band and I agree with that. And, you know, I was saying, um, when I was talking about one, that there was, uh, and I might keep on referring to last week or last episode, because uh-huh. I'm recording this before I record the shortest straw, which will actually be out before this episode, since I'm uh-huh. going chronologically. Just in case I'm confusing anybody who's listening, this is how my mind works. This is how a podcast <laughs> professional um, lays out his recording plans with technical difficulties and misinformation. But, um, you know, when I was doing that episode, I shared several quotes from Lars where he was talking about uh, they came really close to doing uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls music video with uh-huh. Before Ride the Lightning and uh, talked about doing one for Welcome Home Sanitarium, but it just, they felt that one best lent itself to it. But they got to a point where, you know, they said, all right, we'll do it. The record company confront the bill, and if we don't like it, we're not releasing it. Um, and then it just sort of, Obviously, they did like it. They released it, and it kind of blew up, and they never really looked back from videos since then. Um, but, you know, just to reiterate your point, yeah, they've always just done things on their terms. Look at Lulu, you know. That's just something they wanted to do. They liked how it came out. They put it out there for people to hear. You know, it's still more of a Lou Reed album, but... Yeah, well, I think what people don't understand about Lulu, it's a Lou Reed record with Metallica at the back of the band. Right, you know, it's not Metallica with Lou Reed. It's Lou Reed with Metallica, which is a whole. Right. I mean, that that that's its own separate discussion within itself. But absolutely. So, yeah, just like even like the look of like the one video was so different. It's so bleak. It's colorless. It's almost it's almost black and white for the most part. I don't think yeah. there's any real color part to it. No, the warehouse um, parts are all black and white. The movie clips are mostly black and white. Um, there are some, I've seen the movie, there's some colorized parts, but mm-hmm. mostly it's done in black and white. So it's just a very grim, very bleak music video. And I feel like, you know, I keep bumping uh, saying this early in summer, uh, in summer for all series, but I just feel like Injustice for All is such a bleak album. Yes, and, it cer- certainly is. Um, so let's kind of transition. I guess. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the Justice album? Um, for me, I I do like the Justice album. I don't. I know this is gonna sound blasphemous to a lot of people, but it's like. I'm not in love with the album. I certainly do like a lot of the songs on it, but it's maybe in my top five because again, a lot of a lot of things fluid with me. Yeah. Like like my favorite album is Ride the Lightning. I always go back to Ride. Yeah. Um, I just think to me like a lot with with the Justice album is that you know some of the songs are just a little too long and can be a little tedious to get through, especially with the with the production. You know, I'm not slagging on it. Um, I'm not one of those, you, you know, you got to put bass on it. It is what it is. And mm-hmm. I think if you put bass on it, I think you, you're going to take away from, from that, you know, from, from the guitar crunch and, and the drum yeah. sound, yeah. Which, which drove a lot of metal bands, you know, at that time, because then they started to copy that. 
you know, that double bass click that, that Lars had. Right. You know, um, so with, with Justice, I certainly do enjoy it. I do, I do like the songs on it. Just for me personally, it's probably in the middle, which I know for a lot of fans is probably blasphemous that it's yeah. not number one or two, but, you know, it's fluid. You know, one, you know, some days I'm in a justice mood and I'm, I'm listening to Eye of the Beholder over and over and over again. Kevin and Van Dam would be so happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, he would be. Which, which, you know what? I'm going to agree with Kevin. It is the most underrated Metallica song. He it went really the over during that episode. I, you know, I, I told him, I think it's so underrated. I didn't even think of it to list it as an underrated song. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's because it hasn't been played since 89. I mean, yeah. it, it was it was in the intro for the Justice Medley, and that was dropped in, what, 92 or 93. Yeah. And unless you saw them on the two, uh, you know, last year on the Hardwired Stadium tour where they, before they did Fade to Black, and they had the little through the never part, and you heard yeah. Eye of the Beholder, you're like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> they should play Eye of the Beholder. It's just and one of those songs, you know, and I'm not sure why. I'd be interested to hear from the band why, you know, because I feel like they've done such a good job over the last decade at least to kind of put new songs in there and do new things, but they shy away from a lot of the Justice ones because of the length or whatever, but even do like an edited version of it, you know, or put a couple of songs together and do a new medley or, you know, they shave off some parts of songs live these days anyways, depending on the song. So, yeah, I, I can see that. I can see them doing that with like, uh, with Eye of the Beholder. Cause I mean, they do blackened. Right. You know? So they, they, they play an intro tape for Dyer's Eve whenever they play Dyer's Eve. So I, I can see them, you know, maybe shorten a little bit for Eye of the Beholder, but It'd be nice to have that song come in every once in a while. You don't have to play it every show. Yeah. So I can un- I can understand. You know, maybe it's not as dynamic. You know, maybe it's re- too repetitive. For, you yeah. know, in, in a live setting, but you know, put it in the mix. Why not? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell? I do think that the you know the Justice album, uh, the production of it is a bit dry. Probably mm-hmm. mostly because of the lack of bass. But for me personally, I think it just adds to the mood of the album. Like that album just has such a signature sound and those songs are just so nihilistic and apocalyptic and murderous and everything else that's dark and grim. And it's just, to me, it just matches the tone. I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, there's almost. I think there was someone that said there is a surgical precision to every song with the riffs, the arrangement, and the production. If you made it too warm, it would sound too happy and uplifting. Yeah. And I and getting into Harvester of Sorrow, um, yeah, like I can see why that was chosen as a lead single for this album. You know, it is basically an overview of this entire yeah nihilistic horrifying Mm -hmm. you know very you know yeah bleak is the exact word outlook of the world at the time yeah so so let's jump into it i say uh let's go ahead to you know you already said that it's the first single off the injustice for all album Um, i've mentioned that in some other uh episodes as well um I have the Beholder, going back to that for one moment, too, ironically being the second single. So the band must have seen something in it, Kevin and I were saying. But 
I'm not sure. But that's that episode. Let's focus on Officer of Sorrow. Yeah. Uh, first single, written by James Hatfield, Lars Ulrich only, released August 28, 1988. And interesting choice for a first single off the album. I think, uh, I think my personal opinion is the choice behind that was probably that it's the one of the more conventional more conventional tracks in the Justice for All album. It's not crazy long. Does not have crazy time changes. It's mostly in 4-4 four, four common time. It's a little bit more straightforward. Has a cool groove to it. Kind of bob your head around to it. But, I mean, man. What a dark, dark song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you basically just took the words right out of my mouth of like, why I think the song was chosen as it's for, as the first single, and also the first track to be played live off the album too. It's the second shortest song on the album behind Dyer's Eve. It's pretty straightforward. Again, probably why I also chose Eye of the Beholder after this, because again, they're two relatively straightforward songs. There are it's not you know there aren't like eighteen time signature changes like in Blackened or yeah. like four thousand rips like in Injustice for All, where it's ten minutes long. Right, it's a five and a half minute song. It's pretty straightforward, but yeah, it's about a guy going insane and murdering his family. I mean, that's to me. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the perfect first single to introduce your new album to the world. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you're definitely going for top forty radio with a song that says infanticide. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Which, which, by the way, I remember being young, hearing this song, and like kind of. Once I actually focus on the lyrics, kind of piecing together uh, what it was about, um, drink up, shoot in, let the beatings begin. A line like that is a, definitely a little bit more straightforward. But I definitely opened up a dictionary that my family had. And I was like, mm-hmm. what does infanticide mean? Like... And then I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, darkest song Heffield ever wrote. I I completely agree. I was again. You're just you're just taking all my thoughts. You know, you're saying I'm like this to me is probably one of the one of the most, if not the most, sinister song that ever written, at least lyrically. Yeah. Even the music itself lends it to lends itself to it. It's even though like it is bouncy and groovy, it's also very eerie at the same time. You yeah. know, like the the introduction is heavy, but then they go into that little pick. You know, into that, that picking part where it's not. It's not melodic. It's not pretty. It's very foreboding of like what's going to happen later on, and it yeah. just kind of builds and builds and builds and builds. So it kind of, yeah. you know, kind of like, you know, like, like maybe like the character in the song. You don't know what's going on with this with this person, but you know, like just reading. The, I'm reading like the lyric, like my life suffocates planting the seeds of hate. I've loved turned to hate, trapped far beyond my fate. You know, it's like. Okay, that's not the first thing you want to hear in like your lead single to get people drawn into it. You know, or like the pre-chorus of like anger, misery, you'll suffer unto me. Yeah. You know, or like just even like harvester of sorrow. And I don't know if this is where James's obsession with the word sorrow started. You know, I know I know he used it in no remorse. Yeah. But but just you know, heart just like language of the mad, you know. Pure black, looking clear. My mm. work is done soon here. Try getting back to me. Get back. It's just the whole thing. The whole, the whole song is just very disturbing. 
it, yeah, it really I, is. I think you make an excellent point, too, that the lyrics, if you look at the beginning and follow them through the end, you said, you know, musically it builds, and you also said it sort of builds with the character in the story, and you're absolutely right, I think, where, you know, the beginning's sort of talking about the hate that's within him, how his life is sort of, you know, gone to shit or whatever the case is. And then it talks a little bit more about his drinking and drugging. And then at the end, I mean, you have that last verse, all have said their prayers, invade their nightmares. To see into my eyes, you'll find where murder lies, infanticide. Yeah. <laughs> Hell of a way to end the song. You know, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this now and I'm thinking... Was this the inspiration for the lyrics originally for Enter Sandman? Because that was originally about crib death. And you took uh, that thought on my head. We're just on the same page here, yeah. Nick. We're yeah, just I'll... rocking and rolling. But yeah, you know that uh, I was going to bring up that point that uh, I had the same thought. Like he had, <laughs> he wanted the first single off what ended up being their biggest selling album to be about crib death. death. So I I hope. That one day we get an explanation from Mr. Heffield about, you know, I'm, I'm just interested to know if that was sort of going to be, um, you know, we got three Unforgivens. Was that originally going to be Harvester of Sorrow 2 or something, you know? Uh, well, according, uh, I had read interviews when, like, the Black Album, when they were doing the tour, like, the 20th anniversary, and it was the first song written, but the last song with lyrics to it. And I remember, like th- like, James had said, like, the song sounded too happy and too poppy, so he wanted to sprinkle in those lyrics about crib death. I believe Just sprinkle um, those in, you know? Yeah, because um, the line we're off to Never Neverland was uh, destroy the perfect family, I think is what it was. And Bob Rock and Lars Ulrich, you know, they heard it, and I think uh, they both kind of went to James and said, so... Um, can we maybe write <laughs> some better lyrics to it? Maybe make it a little bit more, you know, don't make it so obvious. Make it a little bit more obtuse. Maybe make it a little bit more, you know, subtle. Uh, so so then James made it more about, you know, nightmares in the sand, man. But, yeah, um, yeah interesting how, like, the, like, if we had continued along that path, the first two singles from back-to-back albums would be about, yeah. you know, murdering you know babies and children so he definitely was going through uh lyrically was definitely going through a death metal phase in the late 80s early 90s yeah it's something you would expect more from a slayer right right and i and i think um as far as the lyrics go on the entire album um there's always debate about james's best lyrics and as far as like i call i would call injustice for all like the thesaurus Oh, his thesaurus phase, because you know you have words like infanticide, yeah. and then you listen to like the shorter straw where it has like nadir. I'm like, what the fuck is nadir? Oh, the end. Like, I, like yeah, yeah. He was yeah. just kind of looking for different words. So I mean, the lyrics in Injustice for All are are astonishing from a technical standpoint, but um, I do while I do enjoy them and I do like them, and they're certainly inspiring for a lot of artwork. Um, I also like his introspective lyrics from Load and Reload. And, yeah. I think... And, 
Sorry. Um, uh, I was just going to say, I agree with you. I think I liked how the lyrics got more personal as the band went on. And I that's one of my favorite things about the Load Reload albums are the lyrics. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everybody's going to interpret different songs in different ways. Um, but I think growing up, hearing those songs for me as a kid and then in adulthood and just how knowing what they mean to me personally or how the meanings have changed as I've gotten older and then hearing why, uh, you know, the inspiration behind the songs from Hetfield himself or, uh, you know, I find that whole thing fascinating and I feel like he finally got comfortable being the lyricist in the band during that era. Mm-hmm. And Justice, though, if we're looking at the first four albums, I think are some of my favorite lyrics. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, you make a, you know, a good point where the, 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 the source album, because uh, I definitely had to look up some words when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, and I think even Lars called it like CNN writing, yeah. where they were watching a lot of, you know, CNN and a lot of news, which... Going back to Harvester of Sorrow, um, just the whole the whole theme of, of, of the song being that you know, the, this man's been driven insane by something. Maybe he's, you know his work sucks. Maybe his family life is isn't right. the greatest, and eventually, like he just slowly begins the, you know the you know he snaps. Yeah. And 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 unfortunately, thirty years after this song came out, you can go to any news website in any week and read about a, a murder suicide yep. about almost I got like almost this exact situation guy just goes crazy and yep. you know, or or woman or whoever like a person just descends in the madness and you know does something horrific so I mean even now 30 years later this song is still as powerful as it was in 1988 when it came out if not more which, so I think yeah, I mean, and it's and it's unfortunate that that's you know like this song about about someone descending into, into, you know, going into their mind and going to the point where like you know what I need to, you know I need to numb myself to this pain and I need to take it out on other people and ultimately yeah. end someone's a life or do something horrific. It, you know, it's sad and unfortunately you see a lot more of it now than than you. Than, than, than I guess in 1988. I mean, I was only four. I couldn't yeah. really tell you, but I guess maybe also now too. We're also just so much more exposed you, to all. Of I, it. I think so. it's. I think it's both. I think, um, you know, people are starting to understand mental health a little bit more. Hopefully, and it's. But because of that, um, people with mental health issues, their stories are being exposed more because we have, you know, a 24/7 news cycle. We have internet we have social media you know like i get half my news from twitter these days it seems and Mm -hmm. that's just the one of the best ways to get breaking news but you it's every week you have at least one tragedy somebody snapping somewhere driving a car through a crowd gunning down random people whatever the case may be just yesterday i think it was uh you know i was reading about um the shooting in new orleans Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's just the most recent of many yeah, or even like you could just read about you know again like uh, you know just how just how relevant all this is of just like like even like this album itself you know even though like the sound might be dated the themes you know are as relevant as as ever yeah you know? 
you know, going back, you know, even back then where like, you know, James was writing from more of an outsider perspective of just kind yeah. of writing about the world around him. You can take any song off of Injustice for All and apply it to now and it would be completely relevant. I mean, I don't think there's any song that sounds, at least lyrically sounds dated. I agree with you, and I think that's one of the biggest things I personally have been getting out of the Some for All series, kind of re-examining these songs and sort of... I've been trying my best to go into each song with a fresh set of ears, even though I've heard these songs hundreds of times, you know? Right, and, right. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things that I've carried away with so far, you know, whether it be Blackened, you know environmental issues think of how many times people talk about global warming or mm-hmm. you know the lack of it or whatever your beliefs may be or injustice for all you know true crime is at an all-time high in our culture whether it be mm-hmm. through documentaries and you know the corruption of the justice system and all the police issues that have happened um you know you could just go down the list and it seems that for better or for worse or whatever these songs have become more relevant lyrically than perhaps when they were first written thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think you know James had a crystal ball and looked into it and go, well, in thirty years, these songs are going to be relevant. I think he was yeah. just, again, kind of just writing about what he was seeing on TV at the time, and then I guess eighty seven, eighty eight. You know, again, that was the end of the Cold War between the United States and the USSR at the time. So a lot of those things were on people's minds, you know, like nuclear annihilation and, you know. And I think it was a similar, you know, it's similar to what we're going through now in this country with concerns over North Korea. And, you know, it's just a lot of similarities between the two time periods. Yeah. yeah, And and again, like, I don't think, you know, again, maybe outside of the production of the album, I don't think it's, you know, that's the one thing I do like about Metallica records where they don't. They don't seem like they're dated in their when they came out. Yeah, kind of like because I'm a un, like I'm a Universal horror fan, and a lot of those movies, yes, are old, but they seem kind of like out of time almost. Like you don't yeah. know when it takes place because they may have like old village, you know, old gypsies and the villages, but then they also have like modern technology. Yeah. So like with Metallica records, there's there's this kind of feeling of like, maybe the exception of maybe saying anger of like, they don't particularly feel rooted and dated at that time. You know, whether it's the music, the lyrics, even the art, you know, yeah, I feel like I agree. everything's pretty, you know, it, it holds up, you know, like you can play this 50 years from now and yeah, it will hold up. And I agree. I think for the most part, um, you know, Metallica has written riffs that will stand the test of time. I think, you know, from a production perspective, they never got... Yes, the production gets sound dated on older albums, but it's never anything that's signature 80s in my head or signature mm-hmm. 90s. Um, and I think lyrically, Hatfield does a great job of keeping things subtle and vague enough where you can interpret in different ways, and that way it's sort of timeless, you know? And he's... I, I mean, the when he mentions viral in the song uh, Moth to Flame. I, mm-hmm. feel, I think that's the only example where he references anything in, like, modern language. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, yeah, like, that all caught, the time. 
Yeah, I mean, that caught you me know? a little off guard. Where like he's like, oh, he's modernizing a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of his lyrics are in almost intentionally vague, or they where it is because it does a lot of it, especially the load reload and even some of the blackout and stuff deals more with just universal human concerns and yeah. he addresses it in such a way where he's not really like Megadeth unfortunately they throw in a lot of quotes from like Reagan and Bush because that's when those albums yeah. came out so those songs are going to sound dated because you're hearing you know President Clinton and, and not Clinton like yeah. President Reagan and Bush yeah, yeah, and all yeah. that talking at the time right so but here you know you know with with James's lyrics, he kind of he tells a story in a narrative, but he also does it in a way where it, he almost goes out of his way to not use you know like use stuff that would that people like now in 2018 would understand, but maybe in five years is going to sound quaint and outdated. Right. So, yeah. Um, I had a. I mentioned the unnamed feeling before because yes. um, I was thinking that I was trying to think of a song by Metallica that had that effect where you have the distorted guitar and then sort of the clean guitar over it, like Harvester of Sorrow does. And mm-hmm. unnamed feeling was one that came to mind, but I really cannot piece. Uh, I cannot think of another one off the top of my head, but I was thinking how those intros are a little bit similar. I mean, de- they definitely sound different where because especially since Unnamed Feeling has that infamous St. Anger production. Yes. Uh, these are, it's funny because these are probably the two most uh, controversial albums from a production standpoint by Metallica. You could throw in, de- you could, you could throw in Death Magnetic in there too. but Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, for me, um, if you're talking about song, like Here Comes Revenge actually to me is like a distant cousin to Harvester of Sorrow. Oh, that's a good point. You know, when I first heard Here Comes Revenge, I the first thing I thought of was Harvester of Sorrow. Just again, the, the like the opening and also how they have they both have that ominous kind of you know ambient sound of sounds like a, like a like a like a human like kind of like losing their breath sound. Like it's in yeah. both Harvester and Here Comes Revenge. Harvester is more compact; it gets more to that to that picking part than, than revenge does. But to me, that was the first thing that, str- that struck when I heard, when I heard revenge was like, Oh, this is kind of like harvester of sorrow. And it also has not, doesn't have a similar theme, but it also has more in common lyrically of like wanting revenge. Whereas in harvester of sorrow, the guy, you know, carries out the action. Yeah. That's so, interesting to me. I actually, that makes a lot of sense to me. I actually did not connect those dots. Here Comes Revenge to me always sounded, um, the main riff always sounded like a lost track from the Black Album. And yeah. then the the effect that they have with uh, in the verses where it's sung reminded me a little bit of Thorn Within from Load. But yeah. your points make total sense. And I even lyrically, there's a similarity there. Yeah, I mean that's what struck me like when I first heard that. You know, when I first heard "Here Comes Revenge," it's like it sounds to me like almost Harvester of Sorrow ish, where it just it takes a little bit longer, and it's also obviously it's got more parts than than Harvester does. It's longer, um, but it seems like it 
it's in that vein, you know, or it builds up, it builds up, and then it, it, it slows down. It even kind of has a little bit of that, um, you know, like like James Webb is like the heartbeat. Yeah, if you watch the, the making of it. Like Harvester yeah. has that too, but it gets to the it gets to it a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, and even too, like if you want to tie in more lyrics, if you think about Am I Savage about how. You know, it's about a, a man and his, you know, man watching his son t- kind of turning into him, you yeah. know, like watching this unfold and not really being able to do anything. Harvester doesn't, you know, it's it's more of like you kind of already watched this happen. The guy's, you yeah. know, get, ends up just going insane. So a lot That's of this stuff, point too. you know, and even if you follow up with Injustice for All with, with the album, so you have Harvester of Sorrow. A guy who eventually, for whatever reason, goes insane, and then the next song is "Afraid Ends of Sanity." So, <laughs> like, true. I, I thought These about that. These are all like, good points. I never about, thought of. I, I just like it. Just kind of flows, and again, I don't yeah. think I don't know how much. I mean, I know Lars puts a lot of thought into the um, the track order. Yeah, the track order. He, he definitely yeah. puts a lot of thought into that, but. You know, just that actually just occurred to me when we were talking, like doing the podcast about like just doing some notes of like, wow, like you have a song about a guy who kind of goes insane, and then you have a song that literally about insanity right afterwards. So, I also it also makes me wonder how maybe more personal these lyrics for Harvester for Harvester Star might be for James than we might think. Obviously. That's not a story that he lived. But, you know, coming from somebody who was an addict, who had these issues, and, you know, somebody who's sort of vague about things, like, Am I Savage, from my understanding, based on what I've heard from him himself, is sort of, you know, him seeing his father and him, and him not wanting to pass it on to his own kids. And you wonder if any of that was creeping in back then through this story that he's, through this nightmarish story that he's telling, you know? Yeah, well, I know that he's made some references in the past to, you know, his father being abusive. Yeah. So this might be, it might have a little bit of, a little bit of truth to it. You know, you know, obviously his father didn't murder any children as far as we know of, but, um, there, you know, like. You know, maybe he, you know, that played into it because you get into Dyer's Eve, where it is probably the first song that James really explores his own personal issues on. Yeah, Harvester maybe maybe extracts a little bit, but then turns it into a story. Or again, maybe just saw something, you know, on TV, read it in the newspaper, heard it on the radio, yeah. and turned it into a song. But yeah, you never know, like how much of it is, how much of the you know how much of James's life is in this song? I don't or is know. It, you know, uh, is it like a metaphor for you know his own family as a child um, breaking apart and splintering, and it's just like I said, him putting those feelings in his own story into this nightmare story. You know that you know it could be. Yeah, I mean it's it's very We're true. Getting I mean, deep now, Nick. We're getting deep I, now. I, I know. <laughs> Well, think again, like, because, like, this album, like, yeah, like, we, I kind of said, like, yeah, you know, it's got a lot of the, you know, like, thesaurus lyrics and all that kind of stuff. But there is a song like this where it does resonate with people because, 
you, you know, like me, you know, people have gone through this and like now I'm just kind of reading, like looking at the lyrics of like, you know, like maybe this was internally what he was feeling, you know, yeah. or like, yeah, it was, was more of a metaphor maybe for that Christian scientist belief, you know, where it was like, you know, like he felt like that particular, you know, that particular faith was, you know, was killing him and his family. And, you know, you mentioned Dyer's Eve and you mentioned that sort of the first, one of the first times on record we get a more obvious um, attempt at him speaking about his childhood. So it's obvious during the writing process of Justice that at least some of that was creeping through his head. It's starting to come out. So it just makes me wonder. Yeah, it re- yeah, really, it really does. Well, I mean, or again, maybe it was so- something that someone else experienced, and he turned it into a song. Like with Master of Puppets, you know, he saw someone doing uh, what was it, shooting up heroin for the first time, I think it yeah. was, and it scared the hell out of him. That's how he wrote. Yeah. That's why he wrote Master of Puppets. So maybe again, he heard the story about someone or someone close to him through this and. Or just read a newspaper article. I mean, there's there's so many we don't know. That's why right. I think whenever that Justice box set comes out, you know, hopefully there's, you know, they get into, you know, they, yeah, you know, you're like you were saying with like the, uh, with the uh, with the with the uh, Kevin Van Dam, uh, Eye of the Beholder one, where James is a lot more coy about the lyrics yeah. these days. Yeah. You know, whereas back then, I, you know, I, I know I have a book somewhere that actually ex- explains that explains this, but, you know, it really makes me wonder, like, what, like, what, what inspired James to write this? Right. And then also for, and also then for the band to be like, you know what, the song about, you know, about murder is going to be the lead track off of our new album. <laughs> because maybe he just has a fascination with dead babies, you know? <laughs> or, or, yeah, yeah. Or, there, maybe there's, there's more uh, Cannibal Corpse in James Setfield than we think. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe. And it's it's also fascinating too. Like I'm, I'm holding the um, the CD single that my many years ago my friend worked at a CD store. He uh, was able to get like all these like free samples from bands, and every once in a while a gem would, would slip through. And it's the uh, the Vertigo. Uh, the release of the Harvester of Sorrow single, so that this has both Red Fan and the Prince on it. Nice. And I'm looking yeah, those at are it. Those the B sides. Yeah, and it's got you know the Puss Head illustration on it, where you know where there's a fist coming through the skull, and there's the scale of justice on it. And it's interesting because on the fingers, I mean between the knuckles, the word hope is written there. Hmm. And I'm like, I'm looking at this. And like hope is smashing through the skull, but yet the scales—it looks like it, not the scales of justice, but it looks like time is kind of like running out. And like there's the rat fist, but that's just an aesthetic that Puss had used at the time. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me that, I, like to me as an artist, I would have done it the other way around, where maybe the skull was hope, and that was being smashed. Right. Not necessarily hope smashing through a skull. It's kind of interesting how how that approach hmm. is, you know. Is. I, I, you know, like because there is no hope in this song. There, there is none, and maybe no. that's the point that he that he's yeah. saying that, like, you know, it's literally you know, like 
grasping on to just something at the you know that you can't maybe it is you can't fight it you know like no matter what you do there's there is no hope maybe that's that's the interpretation i'm getting at it i'm just trying to piece it together and i really maybe i should have put more thought into it but i'm just looking at it your analysis i mean you really undersold yourself at the beginning when you were like talking about your appearance talking uh on tom's show talking about fate to black you know your your analysis for harm sorry uh sorry i think it's been very thorough so <laughs> do not undersell yourself again you've uh, said a lot more than it's a good song. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. Well, it's also it's also pro- it's also my favorite track off of Injustice for All, which is why I chose it. Because I'm like, oh, because yeah. it is it is my favorite song. Yeah. And unfortunately, I've only seen it live once. But uh, yeah, I've had the privilege of seeing them perform it live, and this is one of I would, with the definite exception of one, probably the most played song off Injustice for All. Yes. In fact, I love these. Live stats, being a Metallica nerd. Do you want to guess from... This is from Metallica.com. Do you want to guess, or maybe you know, but do you want to guess at least how many times Harvester of Sorrow has been performed live to date? Well, I can tell you it's been played live 767 times. There you go. Because I look at the stats and I'm looking at it now. (laughs) First time was played May 23rd, 1988 in West West Hollywood, California for the warm-up of the Monsters of Rock Tour. And it last played at May 9th. 2008 in Helsinki, Finland. There so, you go. And I know and, from doing the one episode, which was two weeks ago, because even though it was really last week, shh, podcast yeah. magic people, um, <laughs> that that was performed a little over 1,400 times. So this was performed about, about half the amount, but I still mm-hmm. am willing to bet if I went through each song on the Justice for Album, uh, in Justice for All Album, I'm willing to bet this has been performed the second most from that particular album oh yeah no doubt i mean you have one then you have harvester and i think the next one might be blackened so yeah. and, and then after that you're looking at and blackened is a really one that the, still even they really just you know they have that rotating slot it seems and that's just one that gets once in a while but even like i feel like we'll see like a fight fire with fire or like a even a bread fan more so than we'll see blackened a lot of times yeah, yeah, um, and even like during their Saint Anger, the Madly Madly and Anger with the World Tour, they opened with Blackened. So, yeah, um, what that was that was really cool. See them open with Blackened. Um, yeah, I mean, outside of you know those three songs, I mean, you're not. I can't even think of like another song that that would crack a hundred. Maybe Justice. I can see Injustice for All being over the hundred mark. I don't, you know, obviously, Freight Ends has only been played like a dozen or so times. And I have the Beholders in the same boat, like, about, I forget the oh, number yeah. from that episode. That was like, I'll say, I'll make up a number, and it's, I'll say 18. It was less than 20, I'm pretty sure. Definitely less than 30. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was you in know, the teens. Yeah, like, you're not, you're, you know, and again, it's kind of sad to see. Well, I mean, Shorter Straws is making a comeback, you know, in that, at least now with the arena tour in that rotating fourth slot. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll throw in Shorter Straw, they'll throw in Harvester. But I think for them, I think Harvester is an easier song to play. It's a great song live. That yeah. little pregnant pause they do right before the, right before the last verse 
Yeah. It's great. It builds that suspense to it. And I've been just watching a whole bunch of different live versions. Yeah. You know. That, that pause, I was going to, I mean, I made, uh, I'm getting all tongue-tied now. I meant to make mention of that because that's such a signature part of the song when they perform it live. You know, it's sort of like the pause they throw in sometimes with For Whom the Bell Tolls. Yeah. And where the music stops. And, uh, you know, you I, I could hear it in my head, the pause of the, oh, left, yeah. and then the band coming back in, you know. Oh, I missed them live. Are you going to be able to see them on the World Wired Tour at all when they come back around the for the second leg? Yeah, actually... I'm going to see them at State Theater, or not State Theater, State College in Pennsylvania. Nice. Um, in October. And I would love to see them, you know, I'm going to try to hit the Albany show. I don't, yeah, I'll I be don't at the know. Albany one. Yeah, I don't know. Like, even on the Albany one technically is closer for me. My sister lives out in that area, so I'm going to go visit. My wife and I, we're going to visit her and her husband, and we're going to yeah. go and see that so that'll be my ninth time seeing them yeah so yeah my brother lives over by there so we have a similar plan or where for the albany show where we're going to you know he lives like 45 minutes from there so we'll stay over and be able to check it out and it's an excuse to take a couple days off work so that's a benefit yeah, too <laughs> yeah well like we chose it because it was a saturday but yeah i'm thinking the yeah, albany yeah. Show, the monday i'm like <sighs> I, know, I was i was eyeing that pennsylvania show because it is a saturday right yeah, it's a Saturday. Yeah, that, so. I was eyeing that one, but I was like, I gotta. I feel like I gotta pick and choose one. Yeah, pick, otherwise I get a. Hitting all those secondary markets. So. <laughs> yeah. I thought they were gonna do Brooklyn at the Barclays. That would have been nice. I mean, I was rooting sucked. for it because they've not done the Barclays yet, and that's a, a kind of a smaller place from an arena perspective. It would have yeah. been a cool place to see them. I saw Paul McCartney there, and it mm. was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I've seen them at MSG, so. Yeah. Um, but MSG is way too expensive, I guess. So. Hopefully, hopefully they come back around to this area. For all of you not in New York City, too fucking bad. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. just kidding. <laughs> but I, I've been referencing this book a lot through the Insult for All series. I have this old book I got when I was a kid called Metallica in Their Own Words. It's. Uh, just a collection of quotes from various interviews or whatever is put together by Mark Putterford. And this goes through Kill. Uh, it goes from Kill through the Black Album. So it's definitely a little outdated, but I've been referencing it a lot, like I said. And this is a quote from Lars from, let me just check the month and year here. This is from whatever interview in September 1988. And he uh -huh. kind of talks a little bit about each song on the album. So here's what he has to say about Harvester of Sorrow. Compared to some of the other songs on the new album, it's a bit more basic and more instant, I would say. It's a real heavy, bouncy, groovy type of thing. Plus, it's not too long by Metallica standards. It's only about five and a half minutes long. Lyrically, this song is about someone who leads a normal nine-to-five type of life, has a wife and three kids, and all of a sudden, one day, he just snaps and starts killing the people around him. It's not a pretty subject, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, Lars. Not, yeah, not no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> But um, I think on that note, we'll start wrapping this up. Do you have any final things you want to say about your favorite Injustice for All song, Harvester of Sorrow? Um, hopefully, I get to, I get to hear it live. Uh, if if you know, if not, uh, you know, um, it, it's it's definitely the uh, 
The happiest song on the album. <laughs> In a song of bleak songs, you could actually have an argument there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, is, it probably is the happiest song on, on Injustice for All. I, I dare you to find a happier song. <laughs> um, I always just think of... This is the one Metallica song I feel like I just think of Slayer. Because even the melody reminds me a little bit of like uh, uh, a Slayer melody at the beginning and the lyrical content is just a lot more in line with something I feel like they would write. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe cause like it reminds me a little bit, maybe now you say like South of heaven. Cause that came out yeah. around the same time. So again, it's funny how these bands, like they all kind of align around the same time of like, yeah. um, what they're doing. But yeah. Even when you yeah. look at, uh, like the black album, Mary, every band, I feel like, or at least from the big four, we're starting to kind of, trim down their sound a bit either right before or right after you know with like seasons of the abyss and yeah count down to extinction and sound of white noise and but yeah thank you so much for coming on uh do you have anything you'd like to plug nick sure uh if you love my artwork from uh from metal up your podcast uh i'm gonna plug my my instagram account my handle is nick mccoviak that's n-i-c-k-m-o-c-k-o-v-i-a-k and i post um now that you know camp is over and whatever else i'm going to probably be posting one or two pictures a week a lot of watercolor birds skulls you know pictures of my dog paintings of my dog you know so if you enjoy if you enjoy my artwork and you when you want to see the poor man's puss head and please you know, <laughs> over there Dude, so. again you're underselling yourself you're more than the poor person's <laughs> puss head uh if you've not checked out his work yet Go to his Instagram. Please do. He does fantastic stuff. Like I said, when I just saw one of his, I think it was probably the one you did for Metal Up Your Podcast. I just saw it in passing, yes. like glanced at it and assumed it was uh, a Pussed, you know, deep cut or something. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. And I've seen some of your other stuff and it's just fantastic. So thank you so much for coming on to the show. You're welcome anytime. Um do me a favor. If you talk to Clint, Ethan, Tom, tell them to come on Metallicast. I definitely will. I, I'm not too horrible. I, I mean, I'm definitely the new kid on the block, but I'm a nice guy. I'm surprised Tom hasn't hit you up yet. You know? Yeah, we've we've had uh, I've had minimal inter- interactions with them on uh, Twitter. Both shows, they're both all nice guys, but you know, maybe they can follow me on Twitter. <laughs> Give me a follow back, and then maybe we can go from there, guys. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's, I mean, it's they're super, they're super approachable. Like yeah, I always yeah, yeah. said, you know, like, yeah, they, they, the little bit of interaction I've had with them, they've been fantastic. And I know Metal Up Your Podcast uh, gave me a shout out uh, when I was first starting out, which is much appreciated. So I got nothing love for them. There's enough, uh, there's enough podcast space for all of us. Yeah. Just don't just if you go on off of Metallica, just don't talk about anything motor reload with Tom. You know. <laughs> Hi, I'm I'm Tom Quee here from uh, Alpha Metallica and uh, Reload sucks. But I love Saint Anger. <laughs> I, I have picked up on his love for Saint Anger. And he had some harsh words for hardware to self destruct on Twitter too, and I had to defend uh, he, that album. Yeah, I, I took him the I took him the task about that. Took him the task about that. <laughs> now, outside of the load influences, you know, it's like all the songs are too long. I, I busted him the one time I was on. I'm like, you think "Ain't hey, My Bitch" is too long of a song, but yet you, you yet you let you like "Saint Anger," so <laughs> yeah. so 
But Tom's a great guy, though, and I think I'll. Yeah, I think he seems I like a good guy. I just have yeah. not had an opportunity to really speak to them too much, but I'm hoping we can continue to build that bridge among us, Metallica podcast, and have them all on sometime to talk our favorite band because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, plug your Instagram. Yeah, go ahead. Plug your. I was just gonna say, plug your Instagram one more time for the listeners. All right, so that would be uh, Nick Makoviak. It's all one word. It's N I C K M O C K O V I A K, and uh, yeah, that you know, I'm, I'm also on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, but Instagram. That's that's the main thing I want to plug. So, and you've been a good supporter of Metallicast on. All three of those, I appreciate it, and uh, appreciate your support, man, as I'm starting out here. I'm only six months in, if you can believe it. I feel like I've been doing wow. this for longer, yeah. I am at MetallicastPod on all three of those, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure you download, subscribe on iTunes. Leave a positive five-star review if you can. Um, you can also find this podcast wherever else you find your podcast, whether it be Google, Stitcher, YouTube. We have our home site, fansnotexperts.com. As always, I am ending with a cover. This time, of course, I am ending with a cover of Harvester of Sorrow. I found this cover by a band called Link 80. They are a punk ska band from the 90s. They had an album out, or there was a compilation album out, I think in 2000, but don't quote me on that, called Punk Goes Metal. And this is one of the tracks off that, so check it out. Again, here's Link 80 with Harvester of Sorrow. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, mail up your ass. Yeah!
There's a devil calling on the telephone. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Brandon. It's me, Jimmy. Just want to call again to see if other people are calling your number. Did you even give out the number in this episode yet? I just called the number. 203 548 